My name is Danny Malenkov and I'm blessed to be able to join you and lead out in this podcast on lesson number eight of our study on the book of Hebrews and the title is Jesus the Mediator of the New Covenant. So wherever you are joining me from, whether you're on the road or walking or at home or wherever you may be, I hope and pray that you'll be blessed by this study in God's Word and it's a wonderful subject for this week and I'm looking forward to unpacking it together with you. So let's just pause and pray. I also encourage you, if you're able to, have a Bible handy. That'd be great, and you'll have an opportunity to be able to follow along as I read a number of scriptures from our lesson for this week. So let's pause and pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you and praise you for all your blessings. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to open your word and study your word. And Father, especially today, we are looking at Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. We want to take a look at this whole idea of new covenant. There's a lot of questions and there's a little bit of confusion in regards to what the new covenant is and how it's different to the old covenant and so on and so forth. So we're asking and praying as we open your word that you will open our hearts and our minds that we may be able to understand and discern the truth that you have for us that you may draw us closer to Jesus, for this is our prayer in his name. Amen. All right, so, yeah, as I pointed out, the the title is Jesus, the Mediator of the New Covenant. And the scripture, or the memory text, I should say, is found in Hebrews 8, 6, and I'll read it, and it's from the English Standard Version. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent Then the old one, as the covenant he mediates, is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Alright, so we want to take a look at what this new or or better covenant is, and what are these better promises that Jesus has enacted. So, one of the key scriptures is Hebrews chapter 10, and verses 5 to 10. And I'm just going to go there, Hebrews chapter 10. And verses 5 to 10, so as I pointed out, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to follow along with me. Whatever version is fine, I'm going to be you know, sticking with the New King James Version, just to make it a little bit easier for, for me and um, probably for the majority of people who, who may be tuning in. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5, and I'll read this passage and then I'll just make a couple of comments. It says... Here the Apostle Paul and his writing, it says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Now he's quoting from the book of Psalms, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, To do your will, O God. Okay goes on, verse 8, previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. For the second time, that phrase, to do your will, O God, is mentioned. That's significant, and we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that's speaking of, of the covenant, and he may that he may establish the second, that is, the second covenant. Verse 10. By that 
we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, it's interesting that, as I pointed out, Paul here, he is quoting from the book of Psalms, um, chapter 40, and um, verses 7 and 8 in particular is where he is quoting from. And it's interesting, this phrase, to do your will, O God, is very significant. And this is what it means. And I'm just reading here from the lesson in the introduction. And it puts it this way. In the original context, this phrase, that is, to do your will, described moral obedience to the will of God. The author of Hebrews uses the phrase to show that the sacrifice of Christ fulfilled the will of God in providing an acceptable atonement which the animal sacrifices had not provided. Okay, so the animal sacrifices, they pointed to Jesus Christ. He would be the ultimate fulfillment of the will of God. And so that's why when John the Baptist encountered Jesus, he cried out in those famous words in John chapter 1, verse 29, where he cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus was to be the fulfillment. The sacrifices, the sanctuary, the temple, everything pointed to Christ. He is the fulfillment. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect high priest. He is the one that makes all things. He is the, the one and the only one that fulfilled the covenant perfectly. So now we're getting a little bit of an idea of what this new covenant and old covenant is in connection with. And we're going to go a little bit further and the picture is going to become a lot clearer. Now, why the need for a new covenant. Why did we need uh, a new covenant? Now, the Bible here in Hebrews addresses that. So I'm going to read once again Hebrews chapter 7. It's good to read all these scriptures because they really just help us understand. So Hebrews chapter 7, and I'm reading from verse 11 to 19. Notice what it says. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of... Let, let me just pause there, okay. The, the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek here is in contrast to the priesthood according to the order of Aaron. Now, as far as Aaron is concerned, we know his birth, we know a lot about his life, of course, and we certainly know about his death. The Bible records that. But Melchizedek, when we encounter Melchizedek in the book of Genesis, where, where this name first appears, we discover that he is a priest as well as he is a king. He is the king of Salem. And also, we discover something fascinating, and that is there is no beginning and there is no end. He, he doesn't have a birth recorded, so there's no birth recorded and, and there's certainly no death recorded as far as Melchizedek is concerned. So this stands him apart from Aaron, who did have a birth recorded in Scripture and his death is also recorded. So Melchizedek here is a symbol of Jesus Christ. He is a symbol of Jesus Christ because Christ does not have a beginning. The Bible tells us he is the eternal one. He is God, the son who doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an ending. 
He's the Alpha and the Omega. He was the same yesterday, today, and forever, as the scriptures say. So that's a really interesting point, just in case you weren't not aware of that, why it mentions Melchizedek in contrast with Aaron. So I'm continuing to read verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he, capital H, so speaking of Christ, of whom these things are spoken, belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. And of course, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. That is the the line that Jesus would come from. He was a, a descendant. Well, he was born in Bethlehem. That's where David was born. That's where David grew up. And so David, Jesus is the son of David. Um, according to scripture, and yeah, he's from the tribe of Judah, and Revelation speaks of that. And he goes on here in verse 14, and exactly says this, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. So the priests, they were to come from the tribe of Levi, not the tribe of Judah. So once again, here is another distinction. Just as we have Melchizedek and Aaron, now we have Judah and Levi. Let's keep reading. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment but according to the power of an endless life. Verse 17. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Notice, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And here Paul is quoting again from Psalm, this time from Psalm 110. Um, Verse 4, we continue reading, verse 18. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw nearer to God and here in connection with Christ. So this is why the new covenant is the new covenant. Jesus Christ, he comes along and he is the, he is the, the perfect priest. He is the only one that fulfills the law perfectly. He keeps it perfectly. And so now we're going to sort of transition from where we have the law of God in the heart as well as the law of God on stone. And we're going to discover something really interesting as far as what God's original plan was. And Jesus actually fulfilled God's original plan. He doesn't come up with a new plan. Uh, There are many Christians that mistakenly believe that the old covenant is in connection with the keeping of God's law and the new covenant based on Christ and what he brought to, to, to bear in his life and death and resurrection is the new covenant of grace. So the old covenant is the covenant of law, and that's been done away with at the cross, is what many Christians believe and teach. Whereas the new covenant is a covenant of grace that has been instituted by Christ. So we're living in, under a different covenant. So they just assume new covenant means the old the old was done away with, and that was the covenant connected with the keeping of God's law. But notice what we find here. This is really fascinating. And um, in Hebrews chapter 8, so we're still, we're in Hebrews still, chapter 8, here Paul, he's quoting, and he's, he's quoting from the book of Jeremiah. And we're going to, yeah, 
I won't go to Jeremiah, but I do want to go to another passage. Anyway, here we go. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 to 12. This is what he's quoting from Jeremiah, as I pointed out, from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now here Paul is quoting, as I pointed out, from the book of Jeremiah. And there are many Christians who believe, be they Seventh-day Adventist Christians or other Christians, there are many that believe that this prophecy that Paul is quoting from the book of Jeremiah is in connection with what Jesus Christ would do and how he would bring about a new covenant based on grace and not based on the law. Because here it says God will place his law in their minds and write them on their hearts. And so they believe that it is Jeremiah that is prophesying concerning what Jesus would do. I guess what? 500 odd years or so after Jeremiah when Jesus would come onto the scene of history. But, and here is where it gets really interesting, Jeremiah was not the first one to speak of God's covenant with his people, that is his law of love being placed in their minds and in their hearts. Where did Jeremiah get those words from? Notice what we find in Deuteronomy. So this is the final book that Moses wrote. And this is immediately prior to his death. And he, one final time, shares with the children of Israel before they are to enter the promised land, how God has fulfilled his promises over the last four decades to them as they've wandered through the wilderness and what God has in store for them and how God is not bringing about a new covenant but renewing the covenant. So it's not a new covenant but a renewal of the covenant and so you have you have the 10 commandments once again in Deuteronomy chapter 5 uh, a repeat and this time there are just some slight differences one slight difference in the fourth commandment that we pick up on where we have the sabbath in connection with Israel's liberation from Egypt, whereas in Exodus 20, the Sabbath is in connection with creation. So you put those two together, we have the Sabbath as a sign of not only creation, but redemption. And that's a a beautiful and powerful thought. But anyway, we're not going to go there because that's not our study. But notice what we have here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. I've just read from Hebrews 8, verses 10 to 12, which is quoting from Jeremiah 31. And notice here what we have in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. Notice the language. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Holy Lord. Sorry, let me start again. My apologies. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Notice these words now. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Isn't that fascinating? So here, Moses, okay, before the time of Jeremiah, he says God's plan for his people is that they love the Lord their God who has liberated them from slavery, who is their creator and their sustainer, their life giver. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. 
Now, who comes along and says, when he's asked, what is the greatest of the commandments? Who is the one that says the greatest commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and he adds mind, and love your neighbor as yourself? That was Jesus. That was Jesus simply quoting from Deuteronomy. And Jeremiah is quoting from Deuteronomy. As we look at scripture, we discover that, that God hasn't changed. He hasn't changed in how he deals with the human race. We have changed. We are the ones that have fallen. The, the covenant is a new covenant, not because there was a problem with it and God had to bring about a new covenant. The issue was, I'm the problem. You're the problem. We are the problem because we have chosen not to honor God with our hearts, with our souls, with our strength. And we have chosen not to have God's law in our hearts. That's why the covenant is no good. Not because it's no good to begin with, that the old covenant was no longer relevant and no longer needed, and we now needed a new covenant. No, the problem was not with God and his covenant. The problem is with you and with me when we choose. And I pray that it will not be something that we choose, but when we choose, when humanity chooses not to allow God to place his law of love in the heart. And you think about it, Adam and Eve, when they were created by God, did, did God give them a Ten Commandments? Did he give them a physical Ten Commandments or did he give them you know, any physical document that we're aware of there in Genesis 1 and 2, did God give them any physical document in order for them to note and, and be mindful of and keep? Just like we have the physical document of the scriptures, we've got the Ten Commandments that were given to the children of Israel. That was a physical object, those two tablets of stone. Did Adam and Eve have that? No. So does that mean Adam and Eve did not have the law of God? No, absolutely not. The law of God was placed in the heart and in the mind of Adam, of, of Adam and Eve. The law of God was placed in the heart and mind of all of God's creatures, uh, his, his angels that he created. In fact, uh, I won't go there. I've just thought of that as I'm sharing this with you. But it's interesting when Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14, you can read it. I won't take time to read it there in verses 12 to 14, if I remember correctly. Isaiah there is giving us an insight into the heart of Lucifer who became Satan. And it says, you have said in your heart, where? In the heart. You have said in your heart, I will be like the Most High. So where did corruption begin in Lucifer? It began in his heart. And what was in his heart? It was the law of God that was placed in his heart. But God's law and God's love are synonymous. So when God places his law into our hearts and, 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 and places it on our minds, on our consciences... He gives us the freedom to choose whether we will live in harmony with his law or not. And that is why we all have a conscience. We have a conscience that tells us you don't need you don't need to educate a child for them to know that it's wrong for them to push their little brother or their little sister over or to trip them over or to lie or to steal. You don't need to you don't need to educate 
your child and to let them know that is wrong. Guess what? Your child knows that you and I know that we just know that we are born with a conscience, an innate conscience, which, which is God the has placed in our hearts and in our minds. So that's where God wants to place his law of love because the God's law is a transcript of his character. What God's law is, that is who God is. And I don't have the time to demonstrate that for you from scripture. But if you just do a simple study and take a look at how the Bible describes God's law and how the guy and how the Bible describes God's character, you'll discover there are so many similarities. Just a, a number of them, at least a dozen or more that I have come up with from God's law and God's love being loving and merciful and just and eternal and so on and so forth, all the way through describing God's law and, and God's love. They are synonymous. And when you think about it, when it comes to marriage, okay, we some of us are married, <laughs> some of us may not be, may want to be, but either way, we've got marriage and marriage is a very good analogy to describe this law of love that God wants to read. This new covenant, which is really a renewal of the old covenant, the first covenant that God made with Adam and Eve, placed the law within their hearts and minds. Then he wanted to do that with his children, Israel, as we've just read here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, placing his law of love in their hearts and their minds. And you think about marriage, I've got a We've got a couple of weddings coming up very shortly. Love weddings, they're great, just wonderful celebrations. And when two individuals at the altar give their, I guess, allegiance or, or exchange their wedding vows, what are they saying when they say, I'll be faithful to you, done till death do us part in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, and so on and so forth. I know these days they're a lot more elaborate um, and a lot more fancy dancy that they come up with when it comes to their vows. Those traditional vows are not so popular anymore, even though I like them personally. But anyway, what are they saying? They're saying, I'm going to love you from my heart. You don't walk around as a married person. You don't walk around with your vows in your back pocket so that every day or every few days or every week when temptation comes, you see someone that you think, oh, I might be attracted to this guy, might be attracted to this woman. You don't pull out your vows to remind yourself of what you shared. You don't need to do that because where are your vows? Your wedding vows are in your heart. They're in your mind. You said, I'm going to love you with my heart and with my mind and with my whole being. I give myself to you and to you alone until death do us part. So that covenant you have made with that special someone that is in your heart, that is in your mind, it's there. You don't need to carry that on paper. You don't need to carry that on any tangible object because it's in your heart. And so the point is that this new covenant is God's law of love that he places within our hearts and wherever we go, God's law of love is with us. It's in our hearts. It's in our minds. You don't need to have the Ten Commandments written on paper. You don't need to have a Bible in your back pocket. You don't need to have your phone, your smartphone with your Bible app in order to access Scripture. Where is Scripture? Where is God's law? It's in your heart. It's in your mind because that's where your allegiance is. And that is why I can't remember the I can't remember the Psalm, but but I think Jesus quoted from where he says, "I delight to do." Thy law, O oh God, thy law is within my heart. You can Google that and you can find out where that is. And that's a prophecy that David is making concerning Jesus Christ. That's where he was at. He loved God's law. Psalm 119 is all about that. But in, yeah, Jesus quotes that, that passage and um, in connection with himself. And so very powerful. All right. 
got only a few minutes left here and I spent a, a, quite a bit of time on, on the new and the old covenant and helping you to understand what God's original plan was. And that's ultimately the original plan that God still has. Jesus fulfilled that. He is the perfect, he is the perfect mediator because his life was perfect. He lived perfectly and his sacrifice was perfect. And that is why he is a better, uh, a better high priest. So let me just read this Hebrews chapter 8 um, verses 1 to 6. And I think we'll wrap up. I've got maybe one more scripture and, and that'll be that. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 to 6. Notice what we read here. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. Okay, so it's summarizing a little of this whole idea of Christ and who he is and, and his covenant and his sacrifice. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, capital O, speaking of Jesus Christ, also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. He said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But now he that is Christ has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Now, this better covenant, these better promises, based on Jesus Christ who lived out God's law of love. Jesus Christ lived out God's law of love. And so, God's law of love demonstrated through the love of Jesus Christ and when you put those two words together, love and law, you come up with the words of Jesus where he invites us as he kept his father's commandments because of his love for his heavenly father, because that's the constitution of heaven that he lives by. He then says in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so that's where the two go hand in hand. And that's, that is why Satan hates God's law above everything and anything else, because that is the, the constitution and the character of God. Now, we've almost run out of time, and I'm going to just read Ezekiel 36, because this is a powerful scripture here, that where God promises this new heart experience that he wants to give to his children each and every day and how we can receive that. Now notice what these words say. This is Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27. Beautiful words that I want to conclude with. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. The judgments there are in connection with uh, the word of God, the law of God. Now, what's what's interesting here is God says, I will give you a new heart. So it's God through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit that gives us a new heart. In fact, it says, verse 27, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So it's God's Holy Spirit that enables to walk in the way of Christ to follow in his footsteps. It's the Holy Spirit living in us that produces the law of God, which is 
the fruits of the Spirit. And so this is what God's plan is for us. And I thank God that he, is, that he is the one that will place a new heart and a new spirit within us if we are willing. So what do we need to do today? We need today to simply respond to the invitation of Jesus who says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The door of what? The door of our hearts. And basically, I'm going to take you up the heart of stone if you will allow me and I'm going to place my heart of flesh within you that you too may delight in doing my will, my word, fulfilling my law of love in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants to do through each and every one of us. So I hope and pray that you will continually give your life to Christ and ask Him daily to enter your heart. Ask Him daily to take out that heart of stone, which is what I want to do, you know, what my desires are, my my aspirations, and instead place that heart of flesh which is that new covenant experience living by faith that new heart whereby we will live in harmony with the will of God for our lives which is the best experience we can have not only in the here and now but as we prepare for eternity and that is only possible through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So let's pause and pray as, as I sign off and I pray that you'll be blessed and daily that we will commit our lives to Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you, Lord, that in this study we've been able to clearly understand, I hope and pray it's been clear from your scriptures, what this new covenant is all about. The difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Father, really it boils down to the old covenant is, is that heart of stone. And it's me thinking I can do this in my own strength. But the new covenant, Father, is you placing your law of love in my heart, in my mind, in our hearts and in our minds. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, daily enabling us to fulfill your law of love. For we find that we delight in your law of love, which is your character, which is the constitution of heaven, which is Jesus and his life lived out through our lives. So we pray, Lord, that you will lead and guide us. Bless each person, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and um, look forward to connecting with you next time. Bye for now.